0: Enjoy the message.
1: You know, if there's a word that ought to describe or should be identified with the believer is the word change. That because of Christ, our lives have changed. Right. And, and and I don't want you to feel guilty, like, like you should have it all together, because as long as we're on this earth... Our lives are going to need to be changing, and they'll never be fully perfect until we are in the presence of our Savior, amen? But here's what you need to know, and here's why we're doing this series. It's nearly impossible to walk with Jesus, to have a relationship with Jesus, and not change. It's impossible to be around him, and him not cause change in us. Look at what 2 Corinthians 3.18. If you would open your bulletin inside, there's an outline. You can use that to follow along with me. This has been our series uh, verse, the verse that we've used for these uh, group of chats. And look at what Paul says. He says, all the time, we are being what? Change. Why all the time? Well, anybody completely, totally, and absolutely happy with the way they are? I hope you're not. You know, I share with you guys last week, Lauren and I went to an intensive and she tells me, you know, I, I love you too, but but I'm still asking God to change a few things about you. Right? All the time we are being changed to look like who? Like him. With more and more of his shining greatness, this change comes from the Lord. Now, it, it's it's a little tragic that that, that sometimes we learn how to live the Christian life without really living the Christian life. I don't know if you got that, but I'm gonna say it again in case you wanna tweet it later. It's interesting that sometimes we learn to live the Christian life without actually living the Christian life. What do you mean, pastor? Well, you can come to church, you can sing, you can raise your hands, you can give, you can serve, you can take notes, you can say amen but your life remains the same. But your life hasn't really changed. And this shouldn't be so because God wants to truly change us. So we've talked throughout this series how God goes about doing those changes, right? And we said that the environment that he uses is community. That when we're isolated, it's a lot easier to stay the way we are but when we're in community God uses iron to sharpen iron and we also said that the reason God wants to change you is so that you can reach your highest potential and so that you can reflect who he is last week we talked about the fact that if you want to change you need to change how you think right. you need to change what you think and how you think about the area that you want to change and today I want to talk to you about changing your prison for freedom. We all put ourselves in a prison. And today, God wants to change your prison for freedom. Are you ready? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence in this place. As we go into your word, we don't want to be entertained. We don't want to be made feel good, Lord. What we want most of all is to be transformed. Lord, it would be ironic that we would be talking about change and that your word would not bring any change into our lives. I pray that the sweet presence of your spirit that is in this place would take the word that we're going to look at today and make it real in our lives. Father, I know that today's message will be difficult for some, and I pray that as Lord, maybe emotions are touched. Maybe a past, a, a part of their history is past that they would sense Your loving arms around them, embracing them, feeling safe. I pray this in Jesus' name, Amen, Amen. Amen. Most of you guys are familiar with Pastor Ruben, and if you're not, you'll meet him in a couple of weeks. But. Uh, Pastor Ruben and I met met in Bible school. He was my professor for a few classes, and uh, you know he was a and he still is a Cowboys fan. And at that time, we we joked around a lot about uh, football, and and we took a liking to one another. And to be honest with you, I think he took a liking to me. And and I remember that a few times after class, uh, we would stay after class and we would chat. And during those conversations, he would. Met Enter me a lot I looked up to him because uh, he's a man that's full of wisdom he's made good choices he's a good husband he's a good father he's an excellent preacher he's an amazing teacher and I really looked up to him and those times that we spent together after class were moments that I treasure because I felt that he genuinely loved me and wanted the best for me I'll never forget in one occasion where he challenged me to make sure that I never ended up behind bars. Because of my legal situation and some life circumstances, he challenged me to take the hard road, not the easy one, to take the hard road to avoid ending up in prison. And I remember that I sat there and I, used to, and I was thinking like, wait a minute, I've never really seen prison as a possibility for me. But he, he helped me to see that unless I changed some things about what I was doing, that there was a chance that I could end up in prison. By the grace of God and the wisdom of Pastor Ruben, I made some difficult choices that kept me from doing time behind bars. I don't know if you know this, but ironically, the United States, who is called the land of the free, houses the highest prison population per capita. Wow. We have the most people behind bars than any other nation compared in capita. Now, if you're in this room and you've done time behind prison, please do not feel condemned. Please do not feel singled out. Please do not feel belittled. The only reason I mention this is to mention another type of prison, one that unfortunately I and many of us have done time behind, one say is worse than the prison made of metal and concrete what prison is that pastor Nestor well that's the prison of unforgiveness I've never done time behind bars but I have done time behind the prison of unforgiveness and I think if you're honest perhaps you have too Perhaps that is the prison that is holding you today. It's an invisible prison, but it's still a prison. And see, unforgiveness is a prison because it separates, because it divides, because it breaks relationships, it destroys marriages, it undoes friendships, it divides churches. Look at what Proverbs 17, 9 sets right there in your outline. He says, the one who forgives an offense seeks what? Love. love. But whoever repeats a matter, in other words, if you're repeating a matter, is because you haven't gotten over it, you haven't let it go, you haven't forgiven. So, who, but whoever repeats a matter, what do they do? They se- separate close friendships. Now, notice that forgiveness cultivates love, while unforgiveness creates a prison, a prison in which we think we put the other person in, but in reality, a prison in which we put ourselves in. When we refuse to forgive somebody who's hurt us, somebody who's talked about us, somebody who's betrayed us, somebody who's disappointed us, we think that we are doing them harm by not forgiving them. But what we're doing is putting ourselves behind a prison. That's why forgiveness is the tool that will change your prison prison, to freedom. And I want to look at three types of prison that forgiveness will free you from because I have a feeling that these prisons are the ones we struggle with. Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's look at the first one. The first prison that forgiveness frees me from is that forgiveness frees me from contamination. Forgiveness frees me from contamination. I don't know if you know this, but we live in a fallen, corrupted world, don't we? A world where people sin against us, a world where people cheat us, a world where people wound us with their words, with their actions, and their attitudes. And listen, when we hold on to these things, when we refuse to let go, to forgive these things, unforgiveness contaminates us. Now, remember saying, Pastor, how is it that forgiveness contaminates us? Well, it makes you cynical. It makes you a pessimist. It makes you negative. It fills your heart with anger, and you become a hateful person. It fills your heart with bitterness and you become an angry person. And unforgiveness contaminates you because it doesn't make you a better person. It makes you a worse person. You are not better because you refuse to love and forgive somebody. We are always in a worse place when we hold on to unforgiveness. And not only does unforgiveness make us Uh, Not a better person. But did you know that unforgiveness also affects your physical health? It also affects you physically. It makes you feel weak, worn out, and sick. Experts tell us that stress is caused by the release of too much adrenaline. That adrenaline is released in us, uh, that our body produces adrenaline, and it releases it to our body when we need it the most. Like, for example, when we're under attack, when we're preparing to defend ourselves, when you see a big dog coming your way, and there's saliva coming out of his mouth, and you see his three-inch teeth, there's an adrenaline that is releasing your body so that you can react, so that you're able to respond more effectively but but experts have also discovered that, that this adrenaline is also released by emotions. That emotions such as resentment, hatred, and bitterness also release this chemical into our bodies. And when a person refuses to forgive, this excessive secrete of adrenaline begins to affect their physical bodies. That's why you get headaches. That's why you begin to age prematurely. That's why your bones and your joints hurt. That's why you're irritable. And that's why you feel weak because of the excessive release of adrenaline in your body. So you see, unforgiveness contaminates us not just in our character, but also in our physical bodies. Is there a remedy for bitterness? Is there a remedy for hate? Is there a remedy for resentment? The answer is a resounding yes, 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 there is. What is that remedy? Forgiveness. Forgiveness will set you free from being contaminated. Look at what Hebrews twelve fifteen says. It says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Now, I don't know if you know this, but the grace of God is free, right? So how is it that somebody can fail to obtain the grace of God? If God's grace is free, and if God's grace is available to all of us, how is it possible that someone can come short of experiencing God's grace? Well, let's keep reading the verse. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of what? Bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it, many become what? Defiled. See, the grace of God... It's something we don't deserve, but we desperately need. And forgiveness may be something that the other person doesn't deserve, but that you desperately need. So when Paul says, make sure that no one one fails to obtain the grace of God, what he's encouraging us to do is he's encouraging us to be forgiving. Here's what you got to know. I see some of you falling asleep. That's why we put the air really, really cold so that you wouldn't fall asleep. But I guess it's not working, right? But before you fall asleep and kind of check out, here's the one thing I would want you to take. Here's the one, if you don't take anything else, here's the one thing you gotta take with you. We are in this room. We can have a relationship with God because he forgave us. But his forgiveness doesn't just consume our wrongdoing. His forgiveness is also a gift for us to give to others. As he forgave us, he gave us the ability to also forgive others. Now, I know, I know, some of you are looking at me, you're saying, but pastor, you haven't been abused like I was. So for you to say that it's possible to forgive, it's easy because you haven't gone through that. It's easy for you to say that, that that forgiveness is a gift that we need to offer because maybe you, you, you Lorena hasn't cheated on you, and, and maybe you haven't gone through those things, and you may be right. And you may be right that I haven't gone through them. But that doesn't change that the greatest offense was forgiven. And the greatest offense was not done towards you, but was done by you. Nobody has offended you like you've offended God, and yet he forgave you and loved you. Amen? So God forgives us, but he also gives us the ability to forgive because forgiveness will free you from becoming a bitter, angry, resentful, ugly person. And it'll also make you a little bit healthier. Amen? Here's the second prison that forgiveness sets you free from. Forgiveness frees me from the sins of others. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Forgiveness sets you free from the sins of others. Listen, people are going to hurt you. Have you realized that? And who are the ones that hurt us the most? The people that say they love us the most right? People are going to hurt us. Jesus said that it was impossible that no offense would come our way. We're going to get offended. People are going to hurt us. People are going to say nasty things about us. People are going to take advantage of us. And listen, the way you deal with the way what people do to you will impact your life. And the way that we can set ourselves free from the offenses that come our way is by forgiving people of their sins. Here's why, here's why. If you don't forgive somebody their sins, if you don't forgive, you will become a victim and you'll live a a life where you constantly think that you're a victim. And by default, those people will continue to hurt you. You know what I'm discovering, you know this to be true, that the people that hurt us, they're not even aware that they hurt us. They're not, they're at the Dodger game celebrating and you're at home miserable. They're out there in Vegas. they're they're having the time of their life and you're at home, oh, poor me, you know, nobody understands me and and how can they be so happy when they were so horrible to me? Well, because here's the thing, we think we put people in a prison, but in reality, we put ourselves in that prison and we continue to allow people to hurt us because we haven't forgiven them. Can I prove that just... With one more example, you stay up at night likely not thinking about the wrong you did, but about the wrong done to you, right? Most of the time, we're not in bed like, oh, you know, I shouldn't call Lorena that. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have screamed at my kid. Like, no. What, what do we stay up at night? I was passing by, Manolo didn't say hi to me. What's his problem? <laughs> You know, I went to church. I went to church and all the young, cool people went out to eat and they didn't invite me. Yeah, they're saving me money, right? The devil is a liar. Right? We don't stay up thinking about the wrong we've done, we stay up thinking about the wrong people. And every time we think it, that nail gets shoved what? deeper and deeper and deeper i can't believe he said i was ugly i can't believe he's maybe i am ugly right and we we become prisoners to the offenses of others so how do we set ourselves free from the offenses of others by forgiving them by saying, listen, I'm not saying that what you did is wrong, but I am not going to put myself in that prison, and I am going to forgive you. Which I know what some of you guys are thinking. Well, how much should we forgive? How much is too much? How much is enough? I'm glad you asked that question, because Jesus has an answer. Amen? Matthew eighteen twenty-one. look at what he says. Then Peter came to him and asked him, and you could replace Peter's name with your name because I'm sure you've asked this question, okay? How much more do I have to put up with my mother-in-law? How much more do I have to forgive my neighbor? How much more do I have to forgive this rebellious child? Well, Jesus has got an answer. Look at what he says. Then Peter came to him and asked him, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Do you know why Peter said seven times? Because that's God's number. No, no, no. Seven times, he asked. Look at what Jesus replied. No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Now, if you do the math, that is not the specific number that Jesus says that's how many times you should forgive somebody. The idea that Jesus has here is that the number seven means complete. In seven days, the creation was made and it was complete. So when Peter is asking, Jesus, should I forgive somebody as many times as necessary? Jesus says, you gotta go beyond that. When you think you've forgiven enough, just multiply that times seven. Multiply that 70 times. And you know why Jesus tells us we ought to forgive? Because when we forgive, we set ourselves free from the offenses of other people. Some of you, you can't go to certain places because you think the other person is there. But the reason you can't go to other places is because you've told yourself you can't go to those places. See? When we refuse to forgive, we think we're punishing the other person. But in reality, we're punishing ourselves. And forgiveness, it's God's give to you to set you free. Here's the third person. Would you fill this out in your outline? Third, forgiveness frees me to fulfill God's call. Forgiveness frees me to fulfill God's call. I've told you this before. Christians should be the most forgiving people in the world because we are the most forgiven people in the world. And listen, God created you, and I've said this to you before, God created you on purpose and with a purpose. There's something that God wants you to fulfill this on this earth. There is a calling upon your life. But when we refuse to forgive unforgiveness can hinder the calling of god in our life not that he hasn't called us but our ability to be able to execute it when you hold on to unforgiveness it's going to limit how you can fulfill the calling upon your life let me give you an example look at second timothy 4:14 4, through 17 look at what it says it says alexander the coppersmith this is peter speaking Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm, but the Lord will judge him for what he has done. Be, Be careful of him, for he fought against everything we said. The first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Look at what Paul is saying here. He's saying, there was a guy... That impeded me. This guy probably tried to kill me. This guy tried to get people against me. This, this guy tried to discredit the message that I was giving. He says, look at what this guy did. Not just that, but look at the other thing he says. The first time I came to the judge, nobody was with me. Now, now stop for a second, because you have to know the story, the context, to understand how important this is. This is Paul. The guy that has given his life not just to share the gospel, but to love people, to guide people, to to edify people. This is Paul who has poured his life. This is Paul that when he came to towns, he didn't take from people. He was a blessing to people. Here's a guy who has given his life for others, and when he goes to court, nobody's there. Ever felt like that? Like, man, I've done so much for others, and in my time of need, nobody was there? That's Paul right there. But look at his words. Look at what he says next. He says, everyone abandon me. But look at what he says. May it not be counted against them. In those words, Paul says, but I forgive them. Alexander did me much harm, people ran out on me, people forgot about me, people abandoned me, but I do not hold it out against them. Look at what he says. But the Lord stood with me and gave me the strength so that I might preach the good news in its entirety for all the Gentiles to hear, and he rescued me from certain death. Amen, hallelujah. One of the saddest things that I hear is when Christians can't evangelize their loved ones because there's a feud or an argument or something between them. Because we are called to be the light and salt of this world. And when we refuse to forgive, we put up a wall between us and those that we are called to share the gospel with. Mimi shared about Joseph. Joseph is one of my favorite Bible characters. And the reason I love Joseph is because he illustrates that God can change your life and my life overnight. It was overnight that he went from a prison to to the palace. And if you're familiar with Joseph's story, you know that his brothers were jealous of him simply because he had a really cool quote on. They hated him because he dressed nice, right? And not only did they hate him, but they tried to kill him. And when they couldn't kill them, when they weren't when they weren't able to do that, what did they do? They sold them into slavery. I know some of you got some mean brothers, but I could probably go out on a limb and say that none of them have done something like that. I don't know that any of them have tried to poison you. I don't know that any of them have tried to sell body parts in the black market, you know. But this was Joseph. They did this to him. And because of his brothers, he ended up in prison. When he finally comes into the palace, I love the words that he tells his brothers when they finally have that encounter. His brothers were concerned that because Joseph was in power, that once their father died, that he would take revenge. So they went out and they told him, Joseph, we're, we're, we're concerned. And I love the words. And you can't say these words with unforgiveness in your heart. He said, you meant it for evil but God meant it for good. See, many of us, we can't say that because we're holding on to unforgiveness. We're still reliving what they did, what they said, what they didn't do, the way they treated us, the way they've been. And if you hold on to unforgiveness, it will stop the flow of God's grace upon your life and it will hinder your ability to fulfill your calling. Can you imagine? And we were talking about this in our leadership team last week. Can you imagine if I failed to forgive Lorena and I held her offenses against me and I treated her harshly and I was horrible to her and I, and I held back my affection from her, but then I came to church and prayed and loved on people? Can you imagine the hypocrisy? What does that say of us as children of God who are called to be light, who are called to be the love, who are called to be the arms, the feet of Jesus? And we can't be those things because, "Eh, you know, I went to a party and they did me wrong. God wants to change our prisons for freedom. And the way we do that is by being willing to forgive.
0: We hope you enjoyed this message. But before you go, we want to extend an invitation to start a personal relationship with Jesus and declare Him your God. No one loves you like Jesus, and no one will impact your life for good like Jesus will. Would you make the following prayer your prayer? Heavenly Father, I repent of my wrongdoing. I open my heart and I want to have a personal relationship with you. I trust that Jesus died so I could be forgiven, but He didn't stay dead. He rose back to life so I could have eternal life. From today on, I will follow you, transform my life through your truth and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations, if you made that prayer, God lives in you and now you have a new life in Him. Connect to a church so your faith and love for God can continue to grow. We believe that you can find a loving and encouraging community in Dayspring Church. Come visit us. You belong here. We would love to meet you.